I'm Sandy Swallow. I'm Okalala Lakota and Northern Cheyenne. I've been an artist for over 30 years and through my artwork have portrayed my heritage. Now I'm starting a brand new venture called Lakota Link and I'm here to share with you and I hope you enjoy it. Lakota Link. Greetings from the home of the Seven Council Fires land of the 1868 Fort Laramie treaties, bringing stories old and new of Lakota values, courage, respect, wisdom, to name a few. I have the pleasure and the honor of being able to introduce to you my friend Dorothy Firecloud. Dorothy has attained a lot of throughout her life that I think she's an example of a strong Lakota woman. And Dorothy, can you kind of tell us a little bit about when you, you're you growing up? Sure. Um I grew up around White River, actually north of White River. I grew up along the banks of the Little White River, about probably about 10 miles north of White River. Um, Grew up in a little house there, and that, gosh, that was back in the days before there was, well, there was running water and electricity and stuff, but we didn't have any there at at the house where my grandmother raised us. No indoor plumbing or anything like that. It was just such a different time back then, you know, because we had such freedom just to be outdoors, playing, um, helping my grandmother, you know, in the garden, you know, growing all of our own crops. There, and, there was no worries about somebody stealing you, or you know, the it was different. I mean, I grew up the same way. We never thought anything about just being outside or riding our bikes all over or whatever. Yeah, yeah, it was, you know, you 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 didn't even think about it back then, you know, the possibility of anybody, like, taking you or, you know, just not being able to be out there. So, you know, as soon as you got your chores done in the morning, you're free to pretty much do what you wanted outdoors. You know, living by the river was really nice because we could go down there and swim and do things that kids nowadays just have no idea of, you know, the freedom of being able to do those things. And so it was pretty nice. I really enjoyed it. You know, just even like sleeping outdoors. I don't know if, if your family ever did it or not, but we we had, you know, like the box frame from the mattress. And then we had that like as a swing underneath. But at night, you know, you could go out there and just sleep. And it was so nice and cool and you could yeah, see the stars and <laughs> yeah yeah so then what happened i mean you lived with your grandma and then how did your life take some turns um well my mother passed away when i was gosh how old i was 9 years old and you know back then in south dakota it seemed like the social services was doing it and i think they still do it to this very day as you know they look for any way possible to take the native um, kids away from their parents because in their minds they believe you know that 
that the child will have a better life, you know, if they're being raised in a non-traditional home, which is not true. You know? No. I think the kids that are raised in traditional homes where they're learning to speak the language, learning the culture, you know, have such a much richer life, you know, than those of us that were raised away from it. How did you, and and I, I would like the listeners to understand, Dorothy has worked hard throughout her life, and she's obtained some goals that many of us never will. And one of them I'm just really astounded at is that you became a lawyer mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah um well let's see after you know after my mother died i went you know social service came and took my little younger sister marietta and i and put us in um, saint francis at the boarding school there you know that was quite an experience and quite a change you know from having just been raised by my grandmother I was just talking to um, Ione Quigley the other day, who's the um, Tribal Historic Preservation Officer for Rosebud, and she was there at, at um, the boarding school at the same time I was, and we were talking about one of the the nuns there, Sister Mary Daniel, and how much she impacted our lives because she was so good to us where the rest of them, you know, talk about having the nuns, you know, like hitting you with rulers and grabbing you by your ear and, you know, different things like that. So that was you know, such a cultural shock, you know, for me and my younger sister. And then at the end of that year, then we were taken and placed in a foster home. And fortunately for the two of us, we didn't leave the reservation, but we were raised by Bill and Charlotte Combe and Wayne and Tweet Frederick out near Carter, but it's still on the reservation. And, you know, from there, I think Aunt Charlotte, she had had a nurse's, or was it a nurse's degree? or a a teaching degree that she had gotten, and she had already gone to college, and she had traveled around the world because she had worked with the Red Cross. Oh, wow. Yeah, so she had, you know, been to Egypt and, you know, different parts of the world, which was a little bit different, you know, than a lot of the Native women back in those days. And so she was real insistent, you know, on us getting our education. She had, like, the New York Times Sunday edition newspaper, you know, was flown in every week, and so... You know, we had that to just kind of go through. And, and I, the, my favorite part of it was the travel section, you know, and just seeing different places throughout the world and stuff. But then it also gave me an opportunity to, you know, really learn that there's so much more out there and available. And I think, you know, that and then, you know, the, and just a few things that happened. You know, I went to to high school and then ended up dropping out of high school because I ended up getting pregnant, you know, like a lot of the young ladies do nowadays and stuff. And then then I ran away, you know, from the clone family there and kind of just was in limbo for like a year or two. And then I finally ended up, well, you know, the American Indian movement was around them because of all the things that were going on over at Pine Ridge. Oh, yes. Yes, I yeah. know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so I ended up um, up in White River, you know, there was, I can't remember exactly what was going on at the time, but there was a bunch of eight people that came in. So anyway, I ended up leaving Rosebud and just, you know, driving with a bunch of people and ended up in Minneapolis, ended up at the house of um, Melissa Tapio, who was working um, there, or she had grown up there, and father, or I think it was her, her mother, no, her father was from around the Pine Ridge area, and then her mother was Oneida. 
And then she just invited me to um, become a part of her family. So then I ended up just staying there and becoming a part of her family. And I think that, you know, that really turned my life around for being a little bit more positive and stuff. And then I ended up going to school there for a, a couple years and then dropped out again, you know, just kind of, you know, didn't do anything for a couple years, ended up getting pregnant again. <laughs> and at that point, you know, I was like, all right, I really need to do something. And then so I you know, ended up going back and getting my GED at that time and then um, starting some college courses and stuff. And then for, gosh, I'd say like the last, the next eight years or so, I go to college and then quit for a while and go to college, quit and kind of, you know, that throughout the whole thing. And then I ended up um, deciding I wanted to go, you know, to college on a more full-time basis. But then I ended up applying um, at the University of Albuquerque. And I heard such wonderful stories about Albuquerque and how rich the culture was down there and everything. So I ended up applying to the um, College of San, or no, the University of Albuquerque. And I ended up, ended up you know, moving down there uh, an associate's degree as a, um, in, as, a, in legal, as a legal assistant. And then they ended up having a four-year degree in legal studies. So then I ended up finishing my um, bachelor's degree in legal studies. And then I took about a year off. But in the meantime, I had started working with a couple of different law firms there in town that had, um, as a legal secretary, that did Indian law. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. And that's, I think, what kind of piqued my interest as far as law. And then one of the other ladies there, um, Peggy Berg, was working as a legal assistant. And then she had applied for law school. Then, So then I kind of hung around with her. And then um, Rochelle Ducheneau from Cheyenne River was in the same year that Peggy was going to law school. So they were like the year ahead of me. And then so then I would hang out with them a bit and stuff. And then so I ended up applying and then got accepted there at the University of New Mexico School of Law. And then, you know, that's kind of how I got into it. But, you know, before then, I think, you know, what had really kind of piqued my interest in law was, you know, growing up out there at the farm, what we call, call the farm where um, Tweet and Wayne and Bill and Charlotte Holm um, was, you know, Mary Turgeon had also grown up there as a foster child. And when I was there in Minneapolis, she ended up um, going to law school there at the University of Minnesota. So I'd go and hang out over at the law school with her. And so that had, was where my um, interest in the legal field. Before we pursue that, which I, I do want to, I was kind of wanting to know how how this quarantine has affected you. Oh, gosh. You know, right now I live in Camp Verde, Arizona, which is kind is kind of between um, Phoenix and Flagstaff. So at first, I'm superintendent at Montezuma Castle and Tuzigoot National Monument. So Montezuma Castle is bordering with the Yavapai Apache Nation here. Kind of we're hearing things here and there. And then um, we ended up, the first thing that ended up impacting us was that we have a lot of volunteers that work for us. And a subunit of Montezuma Castle is Montezuma Well. And we don't have enough permanent employees to be able to run all three units. And so the subunit of Montezuma Well is pretty much um, staffed up by our volunteers. And the vast majority of our volunteers are elders. They're within the high-risk group that was identified by the CDC. 
Mm-hmm. And so at first, we kind of gave them the option, you know, if, if you don't want to volunteer, we completely understand, you know. And I would say uh, like 95% wanted to keep on working, but, you know, we were real concerned about their health and because we get quite a few visitors and we didn't want, you know, that exposure for them. So we ended up first, you know, kind of having our volunteer program you know, sidelined for a bit until we could figure out, you know, where the virus, how much it was going to impact us here. And then about a week later, we ended up having to um, close Tuesday Goop because we had some of our, um, what we call VUAs, which are the visitor um, use assistants that collect fees and work directly with the staff who are also high risk and they wanted to be able to not have to work at the desk. So then we ended up closing Tuesday Goop down and then about a week later, we ended up, well, what we did then at that point was the, um, the Department of Interior had said that the parks would be fee-free. So then we ended up just closing the, the visitor center and our bookstores, and then we just had everything done outside. But everybody is still working. Oh, yeah, yeah but you're cl- close to the public. So, yeah, we're uh-huh. close to the public, yeah, but everybody's still working. We're still make, making sure, you know, that the parks are being maintained. So, you know, once we do open, they'll be ready to go. And I think I think the biggest impact to the parks is the fact that all of the um, wildlife have, has decided to come out. So we're getting a whole lot, whole lot more rattlesnakes. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> oh, gee. Say, yeah. you know, there's a question I... I just thought about asking you that I really don't know the answer to. Dorothy and I have been friends for quite a while, so and we're good friends. And so I know quite a bit about her. But I was wondering how many Native American women are park superintendents? Oh, gosh, right now, I think my, my three of us currently, there used to be more but then they've gone off to do other things or else they've retired. So I know for sure the um, superintendent, oh, at Sitka, and then there's four. There's two up in Alaska, the superintendent at the Sitka National Park, and then um, up at, oh, gosh, um, Lake, I think it's Clark Lake up there, and they're kind of off on an island by themselves. And then Lisa Frost, and she used to be, down in Texas, and I don't know which new park she's at now, and then myself. So, uh, yeah, there's not a whole lot. So. No, and and you know, uh, you had to have been one of the one of the first ones, wasn't you? Or and um, Barbara Satir was oh. the very first one, and she, I believe, was at, at Little Bighorn be- before Gerard was. Oh, okay. Yeah, or else right after. Anyway, she was the actual first um, Native American woman superintendent. So it's... it's, the National Park Service. Sure. And, you know, this is what I I want the young people on Rosebud, Pine Ridge, and other reservations, and actually all over New York City, any place, to realize if you set your mind to something... You you can obtain it, and you know ha- you having shared with us a little bit about how you finally became a lawyer, just shows that uh, that wasn't an easy route to go. And, no, b- but that didn't matter. You hung in there, and you know the value you've had 
one of the Lakota values, I would say, would be being courageous and, and just tenacity. And I'm not sure if tenacity is a Lakota value, but, but you know, you have, you have to ha- just do that. You have to just keep going. And uh, no matter what life throws your way, and, you know, sometimes it's our own choices, but I'm just really proud of you that you've been able to to do this. And, and I know you've got some um, heartfelt things that you kind of wanted to share with us on on tourism and, and different programs that you, you're thinking about for Rosebud. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, I think, you know, as far as, you know, growing up, one of the really nice things about the National Park Service is that a lot of the values that the Park Service has in our mission are real similar to what tribal people feel. And, like, even the arrowhead, you know, it's the arrowhead, and it has oh, the white Oh, yeah. Bone. I never you know, thought of got, that, yeah. It's got, you know, it's got both the cultural and, and more so the natural resources that are on there. And so, you know, the, I think the one thing that a lot of the tribal students don't understand is that no matter what you study, what you do, there's always a place within the National Park Service that you can get a job. And, um, you know, because we have cultural resources. You know, Albert LeBeau is um, the tribal liaison cultural resource person at Effigy Mounds. You know, and we have we have um, several Native men that are superintendents as well. You know, Gerard Baker has kind of taken the lead on all of that stuff, but since he retired, there have been a few more that have come up through the system. Native Hawaiian men and Native Hawaiian women that are superintendents. And let's see, so like if you went into education, we have the interpretive division that tells the stories. And I think that's a really important place because, you know, like at at Devil's Tower, I was the superintendent there before I came down here. And when we would do consultation with the elders and Back when Elaine Quiver, you know, was still um, alive, she made it. You know, she made sure that our park rangers there recognized how important we were as far as educating the public as to why people shouldn't be climbing, you know, the tower. And she would say, you know, through how the park rangers educate the public, then the public can make a decision and you know make that decision with an educated you know, be in an informed way rather than, you know, people just saying, don't climb it, don't climb it. And if they don't know why, you know, then they're still going to climb. But it's, it, she really left it up to the um, park rangers. But she would come, you know, every year, like at the beginning of May when we get our new seasonal rangers in and tell them and educate them first as to how they should educate the public. And we really need to have more of that. We need to have more of the tribal elders educating our park rangers so that we know what it is that we should be telling people. For our listeners, uh, perhaps you can tell them a little bit about Devil's Tower as far as sacred sites throughout the parks. Yeah, well, you know, um, I think, well, and then, you know, the one main thing is that you have to remember that every single national park is on traditional tribal homelands. And that's the important thing that although, you know, like there may be the Civil War battlefields and stuff, there were still tribes there before, you know, so every single part should have some aspect of their interpretive program that's telling that story. 
And I think a lot of the park rangers are, are getting there, but we still have a whole lot more education to do. You know, as far as the tower, gosh, I would hope that all Native students have some degree of knowledge about how sacred that place is and, you know, how the tower was formed, you know, by the bear and, you know, chasing the little girls up there and the little girls saying their prayers and then being taken up into the heavens and becoming Pleiades. And so, you know, and that's just the Lakota version. There's also the Kiowa version that looks at it as being a big tree. So, you know, there's so many different tribes. When when I was there, we were um, consulting with 24 different tribes all the way from the Canadian border down into Oklahoma because so many tribes had traveled through the area at some point in their history. Was And I've never asked you this before uh, because we happened to meet when you was there. And was that your first park as a superintendent or had you been at another park? No, that was my first job within the National Park Service. Oh, so okay. I, I, no, I was really fortunate. And that was, you know, you know, everybody should have some kind of mentor that they work with and stuff. And Gerard Baker, you know, was mine. And at the time that I had applied for that position, he was the superintendent at Mount Rushmore. And his brother was the superintendent at Badlands. And so, you know, he had quite an influence in my for me to be able to get that job because he was already within the park service. And he's retired now. Yeah, he's retired now, but he still has quite a bit right at the moment. Um, we're getting ready to do a commemoration for the 250th anniversary of the signing of the Declaration of Independence. Oh, okay. So, yeah, so he come back and he's working with our Washington office on how that will look. And then there's several of us, myself, um, Ravis Henry, who's a young Navajo ranger at Canyon de Chez, and a few other members of what we have within the Park Service for Native um, Tribal Employees called Circle, which is an employee resource group that are also working on it to make sure that we're recognizing how the Declaration of Independence was written in such a way as to almost at that time, there was almost an attempt at genocide for Native people. And so we're, we're um, wanting to make sure that that's recognized and um, how, you know, the fact that we're still here. You know, many of us you know, work within the National Park Service. Some of us are superintendents and how that's impacted all of our lives. Wow. Yes, I, I think something like that's very important. Yeah. Because, you know, it, it needs to be recognized. And I think the National Park Service has made a real effort lately to tell those hard stories. They didn't tell them for a long time because it not only happened to Native people being displaced, but it happened to African Americans being displaced. You know, there is, um, we have places such as Manzanar, which are the, um, you know, where the Asian people were, or the Japanese people were taken to, like, concentration camps that are here. One of those is located on the Gila River Indian Reservation in the you know just south of Phoenix, and there's so many of those stories you know that yet that have yet to be told. Yosemite, which is the nat first national park, you know had gosh about oh I'm thinking like six to eight different tribes that lived within the park, 
and at the time that it was created and the hard story of forcing those people out. And it wasn't even until the early 1960s that a lot of those people, the family still lived within the park and they actually had just one area where they were housed. And then in the early 60s, Park Service made a decision just to push them all out and they burnt down that whole village. But there's still a lot of the um, tribal members that work as um, MPS employees there and still have a real connection to that place. And, you know, there's in the same thing with Devil's Tower, you know, the, you know, back in the late 1880s, the um, U.S. government made it um, illegal for tribal people to conduct ceremonies, to do our dances, to do the ceremonies, to practice our spirituality. And it wasn't until ni- 1970 with the passage of the American Indian Religious Freedom Act, which was, you know, in great thanks to Senator Everest there from South Dakota working, you know, to get it passed, um, that we were able to actually practice our religion again. And then that's when we were able to start going back to these places. And it created a real difficult management decision. It was kind of for the national park superintendents at that time because there was this law saying, you know, allow these people back into these places so they can start doing their um, spirituality and ceremonies again. You know, we're we're still trying to figure that out with the management of a lot of these places, which is really unfortunate because it should have been done in the in an easier way, I think. Well, I'll, I'll say, you know, I'm I'm glad there's some really smart people figuring some of this stuff out because it sounds like a very difficult job. It's difficult, but then at the same time, it's I really enjoy it. I, you know, I enjoy being able to make a difference in people's lives. I think one of the stories that I always talk about is, you know, when I was there as the superintendent at the tower, one one evening I was leaving and I was heading out of the park and I saw a bus come by from from um, St. Francis from the boarding school there, and I thought, oh my gosh, look, there's Saint. so I turned around and I followed the bus back up and it was after five o'clock I think it was getting close to six and so we didn't have hardly any visitors at all in the parking lot up there and so again I followed the bus up and then it parked kind of sideways by the trail there um, taking up like a you know a few of the the parking spots, but, you know, it was no big deal because nobody was there, and I jumped out, and I went over there, you know, to greet him, and I was in my uniform, and I hadn't even, you know, like, thought about it, but, you know, when I went up there, it just, you know, me being in the uniform and everything, just immediately everybody, you know, put them on guard, and they were like, oh, we're, we're just parking here for a few minutes, you know, and then we're going to move, blah, 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 and then I told them, no, 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 you know, it had, you know, I didn't even think you know, how tribal people are impacted, you know, by the uniforms and that kind of thing. And I said, no, you know, I, I just wanted to welcome you here to the park because I had gone to school at St. Francis, you know, for the one year. And being from Rosebud, I just wanted to make sure, you know, that that they felt welcome. So, you know, there's changes like that, you know, that really need to happen, just a little bit more subtle, but also at the same time making tribal people feel welcome to these places. Oh yes, I and anything that can be done is all for the better, you know. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. Even if it's small steps, you know. Yeah. Well, <laughs> we we was uh, fortunate, my husband and I, to be able to to go down to 
your area and you showed us your beautiful parks and that was so much fun and and uh, I think about you coming up and us sitting on a deck and having wakulapi which is coffee yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and uh, you know I'm just proud to to have you as a friend and and that your Lakota values I mean there's so many many of them but certainly being courageous and and having courage isn't just for men men and no. Dorothy has kind been one that has had that value and and hopefully down the road we can have her on again and thank you so much for being on Lakota Link. Yeah. I just want to you know one last thing I want is I want all of the young native women out there who end up having children young to to not think, you know, that that limits you in any way at all. You know, it's still, you know, it makes it a little bit more difficult, but there's, the world is out there. Whatever you decide to do, you're going to be able to do. And I say Dorothy Firecloud is proof of that. Oh, well, thank you. <laughs> Goodbye. Bye. Well, I hope you enjoyed our segment. You know, I I enjoy visiting with the people. And if you did go to sandyswallowgallery.com where you can find my artwork and find some history and some background. Please subscribe to it or if you have some comments, we would love to hear your opinion. This is a new adventure for us and I value your opinion. This song is written and sung by my good friend Quincy Goodstar. Lakota Link is here to share Lakota values. God bless you on your journey. Wopila, thank you for joining us. Take